This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. 2018 champ, Ethan Hamilton. If you'd like to contact the show, it is the playoffs coming up. These are when the winning decisions are being made. Please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Again, that's dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. In fact, this will be the first episode released on our new email list. So if you want to be a part of that, just contact us there or uh, via my blog that I usually put something in the show notes. You could probably find it uh, on our other show, The Greatest Movie of All Time podcast. So with that, we are now in playoff mode. So I would like to take a quick opportunity to congratulate you and myself for winning our first playoff game. How does it feel? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Congratulations on making the final four. So let's get into the review of week 13. And let's just quickly go through what I got wrong. We kind of made the Titans and Cleveland game out to be King Henry versus Nick Chubb. And it really wasn't that. Both of those guys, they had okay days by their standards. I think Chubb ended up winning that battle, but it really ended up being Tannehill versus Mayfield in a lot of ways with those play action games. So I I was very surprised by how that ended up. Uh, The one of the few other things, and I think this is one where we've been consistently wrong, but frankly, so is most of the league all season and there's a stigma attached to it. And it's one of our spirit animals on this show, Corey Davis. The guy just keeps popping up, but let's get to him in a second. Uh, I also had a big day for Delvin Cook, but he needed 32 carries in order to do against the Jaguars. The Jaguars have been oddly pesky the last, I don't know, four or five weeks. Kind of looking like that team that beat the Colts week one, but hasn't really won a game since. They're they're just hanging around with a lot of teams, but haven't found a way to kind of win games. And I think that's just a matter of they need one player that's going to be like better than everybody else in order to get them over those humps uh, during the middle of the season, win some of those close games. Darren Waller, it's such an up and down year. I thought obviously this was going to be a decent matchup with the Jets, but you'd thought the Raiders would run the football a lot, even with Josh Jacobs out. And that's why I think everybody was hammering on. Devontae Booker going into last week, but it ended up being the Darren Waller show. 13 catches, 200 yards, two touchdowns. Again, we'll get to him here in a second, but he has some of these weird breakout games and then he'll go quiet. And I just don't know what to think about it. I guess he's just one of those you start and you hope it's going to be one of those big weeks when you need him in a big moment. And then finally, we had kind of talked about this going into that giant Seahawks game, Chris Carson and Wayne Gallman. And Carson is apparently more banged up than we thought. The injury concerns are apparently there that he's not fully healed or recovered. But given the situation that they had going into the game, Carlos Hyde was only approved as a game time decision. Uh, Travis Homer, I think, was questionable right up until game time. So the Seahawks were really dealing with it. And he happens to actually be their healthiest running back. And even he's not nearly 100%. So Wayne Goldman had another big game in a game that the 
Giants really took it to Seattle in Seattle. So that was kind of a surprise for me, even though we really talked about it and thought it was kind of a close matchup. If you can call those things I got wrong, I will take them. I, again, I've actually been pretty good over the last few weeks, and that's not necessarily to pat myself on the back. Well, yes, it is. But regardless, let's go into our quick league roundup. So this was the last week of our league's regular season. Some of you, this next week may be the last week of your regular season. Uh, Tom Terrific ends up beating Rogers Rabbits to drive them into ninth place overall on the regular season. 143.6 to 111.35. Akron Pros ends up losing another heartbreaker, 118.25 to 166.55 for a dynasty football team that has suddenly gotten really, really hot. Was the high point total of the week. New Boot Goofin loses 108.65 to LDH, another hot team, 162.35. He finishes as the points leader for the regular season. Ed Winters pulls out a stunning victory, very close, by 0.6 points, almost near the smallest margin we've ever had for a winner in this league. 107.65 to 107.05 went right down to the wire. Literally had Chase Claypool caught one pass for two yards, he would have won that matchup. But uh, that is the nature of the game. That's why we don't play these on paper. Dumpster Fire does not come out victorious this week. 91.85 to the 123.95 for Shadynasty. Shadynasty finishes at 10-3 and three for the season. Final standings. Number one seed going into the playoffs, and we already mentioned the first round bye. Tom Terrific finishes the year as the number three point scorer and the number one overall seed. Dynasty wins the other division at 10 and three, but unfortunately comes in with the fourth best points record. King in the North, number three, he gets the first wild card into the playoffs. Dynasty football team, nine and four as well, ends up playing LDH in the first round going into this next week. Akron Pros will be playing King in the North as he finishes in the sixth seed. LDH will be playing Dynasty football team, a matchup of two of the hottest teams of the last month. That is where our league is at, but let's take a look at what the games actually went down this weekend. So let's start with the Colts at the Texans. The Colts win this one late off of a fumble by Deshaun Watson, 26 to 20. Brandon Cooks was evaluated during the middle of this game for a concussion, but did return. We will be monitoring that situation as we go along during the week. But one of the few bright spots for the Colts offense in this one, T.Y. Hilton, a guy that we've kind of written off as dead. I think there are, I've read at least a dozen articles of him being dropped through the course of this season. 11 targets, 8 catches, 110 yards, and a touchdown. Would you say that he's back for the Colts? I mean, this has been about the third week in a row that he's had a decent game. I mean, we all know who T.Y. Hilton is as a player. He's really experienced and pretty bankable when healthy. But the problem is he's never really healthy. And I never really never really believed all year long in Phillip Rivers, and I still don't now. So I'm not super confident in T.Y. Hilton in a playoff position moving forward. I, I still have trust issues. I've always had trust issues when it comes to T.Y. Hilton because he was kind of this boomer bust guy that he'd have these huge games and then he'd kind of have these smaller games. And he was never a hugely consistent player. He was for maybe one or two years where he was kind of a stud. 
a guy that was never a heralded name but could end up winning you your league if you got him during those one or two years. I'm just very confused. Since it's happened a couple of weeks in a row, I'm more inclined to believe he'd be quote-unquote back. But given that Phillip Rivers doesn't throw the ball downfield, I just don't know how valuable Hilton's going to be. He looks healthy and back closer to himself, but again, this Colts offense is limited. So that kind of leads me into my next part. Jonathan Taylor was my underrated stud of the week, and I think he finished... He was in the top five spot going into Monday night. I don't know if he he finished as a top five running back for the week. I think I'm pretty close to hitting that one. But he ends up with 91 yards on the ground, three catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. He actually had a pretty good game. And this is kind of the second game of his quote-unquote breakout. Now, again, it comes against a bad rushing defense. His first one was against the Packers a couple of weeks back before he got COVID. This one was against Houston and he gets Houston again in a couple of weeks. It's the Raiders this week, which isn't a great rushing defense. Would you say he's finally starting to break out? I mean, things are starting to slow down for him. You can tell that by watching the tape on him, he's starting to hit holes that he wasn't hitting before, but you said it yourself. You know, he's playing against really, really bad run defenses. I need to see it more consistently, or I need to see it against better competition before I can claim breakout. And even in his with his receiving, too, you know, he had three catches for 44 yards uh, receiving, but one of those catches was for 39 yards. So it's the consistency of the in the passing game and then the consistency of good rushing games against better opponents. Uh, let's move into the Houston side of things. One of the hottest quarterbacks pretty much since about Bill O'Brien's firing has been Deshaun Watts for as tough as you, you and I were maybe to start the season. I was always worried about this stretch where they were playing Indianapolis. They have Chicago this week. They have Indianapolis again in two weeks, but they seem to do all right. And we're in a position to win this game. Now with Brandon cooks, possibly in a symptomatic situation, the fact that Randall Cobb is already out. They had to bring up Chad Hansen off of the practice squad because we already know, I mean, it's been one of the most talked about fantasy stories for the past week and a half, Will Fuller being suspended for PEDs. QT or QT, excuse me, comes out with uh, nine targets, eight catches, 141 yards in this one. And you know Deshaun Watson's got to throw the ball to somebody. He looked like the beneficiary. Is this a potential big ad going into the playoffs? You know, somebody's got to catch the ball, but I don't really feel that he can win you a championship. You know, I could be wrong because, like I said, somebody has to catch the ball. And he's still throwing the ball a lot. He threw the ball 38 times. The only problem that I have with that is he didn't have any touchdowns. No touchdowns. So it's still going to be tough for this Texans passing game without that number one receiver for Deshaun Watson. But if you have space for it and you're looking for, you know, a flyer, then absolutely I'd go with QT, but I'm not running to the waiver wire. Like, Holy shit. This is somebody that I have to have. Cause I still think it's pretty fluid and, and unpredictable. I would pretty much agree on that. I think it's a little different situation, me being the Will Fuller owner of our league, that I need to replace some of that production and another option for a flex startable guy in a situation where you know his target share is probably going to be high due to the lack of other options. 
it's a guy that I definitely put in a waiver claim for, and I think people probably should. I don't think he's going to have the same production value level as Will Fuller because they're two different receivers. Will Fuller's an outside guy with a lot of speed who's also a deep threat, whereas Kuti's kind of a slot receiver with some upside. The touchdowns is a little concerning, but this is a guy I could see starting in a flex position in a, a certain game, depending on the matchup. And I, I know that their week 16 isn't a bad matchup. So it just depends on what your other options are, but this is a guy I'm definitely considering uh, as we kind of move through the playoffs here. Let's go to the saints and the Falcons. The saints come out victorious in this one. It was actually one of these really close late games in that first round of games. I was actually very excited we got to about the fourth quarter and most of those games were within one score or came down to the last possession. Saints come out victorious 21 to 16, but Alvin Kamara finally gets back into action, 88 yards on the ground, one touchdown, and most importantly, two catches. Are we able to kind of breathe a little bit on Alvin Kamara? Man, I don't know because what made Alvin Kamara such a transcendent fantasy player was his receiving ability. You know, he's never been a great rusher and he'll never be a great rusher where it's like, oh my God, we got to feed this guy the rock. Really, it's more we got to get this guy the ball in space. And he's not getting that in the passing game. You know, still two catches for only nine yards. But rushing, he had a predator day, 15 carries for 88 yards, but 37 of those yards came on one big carry. So, some where you drafted Alvin Kamara and how much he means to your team, I'm still a little worried unless you have a guy like Christian McCaffrey coming back from injury. If I'm in a redraft, especially the amount of stock that you put into this guy, I'm I'm a little worried. These and it's pretty consistent. These last couple of weeks it's been pretty consistent. So yeah, I'm a little worried. This is the type of game I'm hoping for if Taysom Hill continues to be the quarterback. He got into the end zone. He got a couple of catches, but it's not the game that I would expect. I think as long as Taysom Hill is the quarterback, that either Latavius Murray or Taysom Hill is going to be getting the goal line carries, which concerns me where when Breeze is in, Kamara has been getting a lot of the goal line carries. The other thing is the dump off passes. They're just not there in the offense when Taysom Hill is starting. And that's where Kamara picks up a ton of his points. So you got to hope that Drew Brees comes back soon. I'm hoping maybe next week. But uh, the other two questions I really have in this one, are we starting to see Michael Thomas again? He's had a huge amount of target share with Taysom Hill as quarterback. We even saw when Drew Brees was back in that his, his targets are there. He hasn't gotten into the end zone yet, but you're starting to see Michael Thomas-like things. 11 targets, 9 catches, 105 yards in this game. Yeah, that's exactly what Michael Thomas type things are. It's not big flash plays. It's a lot of a lot of opportunity. So you like to see the target there and double digit targets and even closing in on double digit catches as well. I'm feeling a whole lot better from a Michael Thomas owner moving into the playoffs uh, than you did even a couple weeks before because it has been pretty consistent and you you now know that this is the new Saints offense with Taysom Hill at quarterback. He's still going to get a lot of work. The other one is Todd Gurley. He's had 3.4. He was out for the next week and then 2.5 this last week against the Saints. Now, mind you, the two games that he scored poorly against were the Saints, and they're always been a tough run defense the last three years. But are, are we getting to the point where Todd Gurley is not even startable? You know, I there's rumblings out of Atlanta that the knee is acting up again. 
It's late in the year, you know, the wear and tear is finally eating away at his body and it sucks, you know, from where he was a couple of years ago to where he's at right now. I'm most definitely worried if I'm a Todd Gurley owner. I just, depending on who you got, I'm a firm believer in starting your studs, but I don't even know if you can consider Todd Gurley one of your studs anymore, even as well as he was doing this year. Well, I think most of his values wrapped up into his touchdown apparatus and I don't know how effective he's going to be if he's not getting into the end zone so you've got to hope if you are starting him it's probably in a flex position and hoping that he busts into the end zone but you may have better options let's go to our next game on the list the Lions and the Bears the Lions pull off a late comeback victory against the Bears 34 to 30 in Chicago Stafford without DeAndre Swift or Kenny Galladay still puts up 402 yards of offense or excuse me, passing yards for that matter, three touchdowns and one interception. Adrian Peterson has four touchdowns in the last two weeks against the Bears. What, Houston? Was Thanksgiving only two weeks ago? Yeah, that's right. Uh, So Peterson, four touchdowns in the last two weeks against decent competition. Uh, Are either of these guys worth a playoff stream? Matt Stafford, most definitely, depending on matchup. Like, he's somebody that you always look because he's a quarterback that's very, very productive. You know what you're going to get from him week in and week out. And he's not flashy by any stretch of the imagination, but he'll win you games. Adrian Peterson, man, you do that at your own risk uh, because it's a risky play for me. Because as soon as you think you got it figured out, that's when you get burned. And in the playoffs, for me, I'd much rather do something that I know and something that that I that I can kind of bank on more than an Adrian Peterson and the Lions type. This was one where we thought the Lions might quit, and they actually responded in the opposite way, where they seemed to play a little bit harder with a little bit more gumption last week. So color me a little bit surprised on that one, but Peterson, his real value is getting into the end zone. Like he's going to get a volume of carries, maybe not as many as he used to. And his effectiveness is going to be limited, but if he gets into the end zone, he's valuable. I think he plummets significantly if Swift is back this week, but we don't know how that concussion is going to work out. And they are in a premier matchup. So if I have, no DeAndre Swift this weekend. I have Adrian Peterson. It would be a guy that I'd really consider starting against the Packers, Steve, which has always been problematic this season against the run. Uh, let's go to the Bears, though. And really, we know pretty much what the Bears are right now uh, as an offense. They put up a little bit more of an offensive consistency the last couple of weeks, weeks with Trubisky in there, at least for fantasy value. But the real surprise the last couple of weeks now, mind you, it was against the Packers and the Lions, but... David Montgomery. He's put up 25 points the last two weeks against these two defenses. And I'm wondering if we start to maybe consider him as kind of a long-term RB2. I think you can safely say that he's in the RB2 range. I'm still not reading too much into the last two performances because he was playing against some two of the worst run defenses that the league has to offer. That being said, he plays the Texans next week too. That's a very, very good matchup for him as a playoff game especially you know then he's got the vikings and the jaguars those two are a little bit tougher um but i think as much as i am not really fully believing all the hype he's somebody that i would like to have in my lineup next week i definitely think he's a very good play against the texans at least on the ground 
And part of the value that he's gotten has been with Tariq Cohen out. The level of volume he's getting at running back right now is very consistent. They only give a few carries here and there to Cordero Patterson. So as long as he's going to continue this level of volume, I think he can produce at an RB2 level. And maybe he shakes off that bust status that he got for about a year and a half coming out of the draft when we, I think he was drafted number one in our league last year. So this is a guy that came in with a lot of promise, thought we'd have a good opportunity. and He's finally starting to pay off. All right, let's move to Browns at Titans. This was kind of the game that you and I were most looking forward to. And this game kind of was a weird one. The Browns got up really big early. The Titans kind of made a valiant comeback, but it was kind of late by the time they got going into the second half. And I guess if I were to put anything on this, I mean, the biggest takeaway is probably Baker Mayfield, but that's the first week we've really seen Baker Mayfield be huge. So I I don't want to draw too many conclusions from that one. If I'm going to take a representation away from the Browns right now, it's whether or not we're worried about Kareem Hunt. He's had less than 10 points the last three weeks, especially with Nick Chubb back and the fact that they're throwing the ball a little bit more. He's also got dates with the Ravens and the Giants the next two weeks. Would you be worried about starting him in your playoff lineup? You tell me. Uh, you're the one that has Kareem Hunt. You're the number one seed. You tell me if you're worried about him and his playoff performance so far, or moving forward. I've been worried about him for a few weeks now, and I will say my level of confidence is actually higher in Cam Akers right now than Kareem Hunt. I, I, I'll just try wow. and make it quick and easy. That's where we're at. And I think things turn very quickly in the NFL, so this is a situation... It's simply that they're not giving him the ball. He's not being involved in the passing game. So I don't know if this is he's just being worked out of the game plan, if he's hurt, what exactly is going on with him. But he went from being a guy that you had to start every week that was at minimum an RB2 consideration. He's even as the backup because Chubb, while he was getting a lot of carries, was not the passing down guy and hunt really was. And they were talking early on in the season. It's why I drafted him in my redraft league as well, that he could even play like slot receiver for the Browns, which I thought was kind of weird because they have Jarvis Landry already, but they've never really used him as that type of guy. And what I've seen over the last few weeks, the less than 10 points has me very concerned. The other guy from this game that we already kind of mentioned before, and it's a guy that has been, frustrating for several years but really has been kind of hitting most of the year when he's either been healthy or not on the COVID list and it's Corey Davis AJ Brown kind of left this game for a little bit on a weird non-contact injury and he did return but Corey Davis was the big beneficiary of this game and he's been really hot this year especially going into a contract year 12 targets 11 catches 182 yards and a touchdown is this a guy that dare I say it can kind of carry teams for the last couple of weeks with the Titans really flavor or favorable playoff schedule. Carry is tough for me. Be productive. I think is a little more in line with what he can do because I still think this is AJ Brown's wide receiver unit. I still think it belongs to him, but I think what has helped Corey Davis is AJ Brown. I don't think Corey Davis is a number one wide receiver. I think he does a whole heck of a lot better when there's somebody else that everyone is more focused on, kind of like a Juju Smith-Schuster. So for Corey Davis, I wouldn't say that we kind of missed on him. I wouldn't say that. I think he is overperforming expectations, 
but I do think this might be a career year for him. If, if that makes sense, I, I don't think moving forward for the rest of his career, he'll be somebody where it's like, where he could sit comfortably in like a wide receiver two range. I don't, I don't see that. I really think it depends on the team he may or may not end up on, because I think that it's going to be kind of a weird free agency period with the amount of skill position guys that are going to be available on the market, not just from quarterbacks or running backs, but wide receivers too. And with the cap going down, I don't know if he'll come back to Tennessee. If he does and he plays second fiddle to AJ Brown, he could be a very, very good second fiddle. But if he leaves, where does he go and how does he fit in? He's a guy that I'd be picking up and stashing. If I, even if I was a team that was outside of the playoffs and my league allowed that into the next year, if I was a dynasty player, just to see what ends up happening to him and what his fit could be. Because if he gets with the right system, let's say, for example, the Texans let Will Fuller go or whatever, and they end up signing Corey Davis or something. I think he could be potentially valuable with Deshaun Watson throwing to him. If you're talking about he goes and signs up with the Rams offense, you know, that's that's a situation where I could see him as a valuable receiver. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different scenarios. I could see him being another cog in a pretty good offense with a decent quarterback where he's a productive player and a productive fantasy player. Uh, Bengals and Dolphins. The Bengals go on the road and lose this one seven to 19 against the Dolphins. And frankly, this was pretty expected. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but is Miles Gaskin kind of underrated? He had 90 yards rushing, two catches for 51 yards in his return. I for sure think he's underrated. I can even say that for a fact because he has been somebody that's always up there week to week in like the top 20 range. So, yeah, he's super productive, but I think what hurts him, too, is the team that he plays for and how unproductive they have been as a whole. I think with his level of volume, if he had been healthy and maybe was getting a few more opportunities in the red zone, maybe got a few more touchdowns, that we'd be talking about him in the same way we do kind of James Robinson. Like, he's gotten that level of volume from the Dolphins this year, And I think that we kind of forget if you paid attention to college, he was an incredibly productive college running back, both on the field and in fantasy, because I do play college fantasy at at Washington. He was kind of a guy that hovered around the Heisman watch several years in a row. And I, I think he's a very capable runner. He just was never a great pro prospect. He's maybe a better football player than player. Then he is a measurable. Mike Kosicki also had another huge catch in this one. He ends up with 11 targets, nine catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Where is he currently rating in your dynasty tight end rankings? Man, every week the tight end rankings switch. I don't really think there's anything solid about those rankings, and it's tough. But he's one of those guys where you feel like if you have him, you have a a top 10 wide receiver I th- or tight end. I feel like you could, I feel like he's, he can flirt there within the top 10, top 15. So this was a guy that had a hugely productive second half of last year that we were all high on kind of in that Tyler Higby range, but I can think of at least like 
eight different guys that I'd probably want ahead of him right now, depending on what happens with Zach Ertz yet. If he ends up in an offense where there's a productive tight end again, where they're running a lot of these play action sets, I could even see him. Johnu Smith, you'd probably rate ahead of him because he's, although he's been hurt the last half of the year and hasn't been nearly as consistent, but he's a little bit more of an athletic guy. And yet I think that Gusecki is a guy that could be the second or third tight end on your dynasty team that you're kind of led. He's at the end of your roster, that 14th, 15th guy that you're keeping around just in hopes that he finally puts it together one of these years. And to be fair, he's playing with a quarterback who did produce two really good tight ends that are both NFL prospects out of Alabama, Irv Smith Jr. with the Vikings and OJ Howard with uh, the the Buccaneers right now. So I, this is a guy who knows how to throw to the tight end. So let's uh, move over to the Jaguars and Vikings. The Jaguars, who I've said, have been kind of that pesky team, but the Vikings had to kind of grit this one out a little bit. Again, with Kirk Cousins with a defensive touchdown given up. I think it was a fumble last week. This week, it's a pick six. But the real story, yet again, is the amazing rookie, Justin Jefferson. He is uh, an, the fifth rookie to get 1,000 yards in his first 12 games with a list, and I kid you not, Randy Moss, Odell Beckham Jr., Marcus Colston, and Anquan Bolden. He has also now surpassed Randy Moss's record for 100-yard games as a rookie. So how high is the ceiling for this guy? Yeah, that's a really good question because you kind of wonder if, not that he's reached his peak, obviously. He's only a rookie, but with his... He came into the game so polished, right? You mm-hmm. do wonder. You do wonder how much better it can get. I'm not saying he's anywhere near his ceiling at all, but to come in so so ready. But all of them have come in so ready. So maybe that's just the way how college is preparing these guys, or these wide receivers now, because a lot more NFL teams are kind of running more college style offenses, so it's a little bit easier. So. I really do think the sky is the limit for him. I think he could be in the conversation in the next couple of years where he might be the number one dynasty wide receiver in that conversation, in that conversation, just like DK is right now. Do you want to know the scariest part? What's the scariest part? He was not the best receiver on that LSU team last year. Nope. And he was not even the second best guy on that LSU team last year at the wide receiver position. I am really excited to see what happens when Jamar Chase gets into the league because I think that guy is an absolute world beater. I think the same thing about Devontae Smith. And if you can snap either of those guys up in your draft, these are going to be names that are going to be mentioned in the next few months when we kind of get into our draft pre-work and uh, as we head into next season. But those are guys that I'm really excited to see if they end up with the right quarterback. All right. So now that we're further into the year. And this is, these have been two guys that I've consistently started. They are, I think numbers four and six on the year as far as fantasy points. But at this point, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, are they both wide receiver ones? I think you could say that Adam, even when they're both in there, they have been super productive together, which is what was lacking last year, which is why it was hard for somebody like me to, especially in win now more mode to jump on a Justin Jefferson because the Vikings and I've said it a million times, the Vikings wide receivers last year would take weeks. Like one week it would be Stefan Diggs, The next week it would be Thielen's 
this year they're both being super productive each and every week, especially when Dalvin is still being pretty productive as well. So I think the Vikings offense is starting to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think these two are both wide receiver ones. The Vikings offense is pretty much a run first offense featuring two tight end sets a lot of the time. And so they really have either one or two wide receivers on the field at at any one time. And these are the guys that they are throwing the ball to. So it's not that they're competing for targets. These guys are getting huge target shares each and every week. It's basically these two guys and Delvin Cook, and that's the Viking offense, and it's working. These two guys have basically carried my team to the number one seed at this point, and you have to lock them in as starters. There's really no other way to say it. Let's go to the probably the weirdest game of the week, the Raiders and the Jets. The Jets pull the Jets, and they end up losing this game on a kind of Hail Mary weird play. I, If you want more analysis of that, you can listen to every other show from this week. But it was just a weird game to watch, and that play will kind of be defining of how the Jets are moving into next year. Because if they were going to win a game, you felt like it had to be this one. At this point, it pretty much feels like it's locked in. The Jets are going to go 0-16. But the Raiders win this one 31-28 on a Henry Ruggs late, long touchdown on an all-out blitz by the Jets, which is why they fired their defensive coordinator. But this game was defined a little bit more earlier on by a couple of other players. One of the hot pickups of the week is Ty Johnson, the kid that was drafted by the Lions last year, kind of filled in and was uh, a pickup streamable starter about that second or third part of the season. Uh, when we lost on Johnson for a significant portion, he's kind of a shifty back, but ends up having 22 carries for 104 yards, a touchdown, two catches for 13 yards after Frank Gord goes down with an injury. Is he something or I, I don't know if I could start him this week, even though I may put in a waiver claim for him. Yeah, I mean, at your own risk, not really somebody that I want to be messing around with in playoff time. I want to go with somebody that's a little more established someone I can trust a little bit more at your own risk. He may be a guy that you can pick up just so somebody else doesn't have him, but boy, starting him might be a bridge too far for me, at least at this point. I mean, it's the jets. It's not like it's a productive offense normally. Now, the other thing is, is I, and I mentioned it before in kind of our earlier segment, but how frustrated are you by Darren Waller at this point? Every other week for the last seven weeks, he's either over 10 points and then he's under the following week. I think you can say that for every single tight end. I think that's how the t- all the tight ends, except for Travis Kelsey, have been all freaking year long. The only issue is with Darren Waller is you expect him to be consistent because he's one of the top tight ends. You know, that the inconsistency is what stopped me from making a trade for him at the deadline. As much as I know how talented he is and as much as I think it would have helped put me over the top, I wasn't willing to give up that much for somebody that's closing in. I think he's already 30 or he's closing in on 30. And he the consistency is so up and down. But I do think that's every single tight end in the league so far besides Travis Kelsey. I think the consistency has more to do with how the Raiders are playing individual games than it has almost anything to do with him. 
his target share last year was so enormously high because it was basically run with Josh Jacobs, throw to Darren Waller. And that was their entire game plan. This year it's been run the football, run the football, run the football. And if we're behind, we'll throw to Darren Waller. So if you could catch him in the weeks where they may be behind, like he's had two decent games against the chiefs because they had to score more points then you know what you're going to get from more of an output. Obviously, in a Jets game, you expected them to be ahead and thus running the football more. So it was hard to see this one coming as much for most of us. But I guess you just kind of ride it out. I mean, this is a guy you probably drafted high as a tight end, and he's most likely the second best tight end in football. At worst, he's probably the third. And you just hope that you hit it big during the playoffs now. All right, let's go to the Rams and Cardinals. Cam Akers finally has the majority of the carries and not just the majority of the carries. He has 21 overall carries to six combined carries for Malcolm Brown and Darrell Henderson Jr. The Rams end up winning this one 38 to 28 over the Cardinals. But was this Cam Akers final breakout? You got to see it. He had the opportunities, but still the yards per carry weren't necessarily there. But you got to like that he is getting the goal line work. I'd still like to see him a little more involved in the passing game. He only had one catch for it was for 22 yards. So I've said it since the summer. I think he's the best running back here. I think he's one of the best running backs in the running back group. I just really hate the team that he's on right now and how they're choosing to use him. Yes, you are encouraged about the the opportunity and the, the amount of run that he's been getting, but it's the yards per carry now, but you got to be excited from what you've seen all year long to now see, okay, now we're starting to see a little bit. All the patience is finally starting to pay off a little bit. I think it's been a bit of a learning curve for him. We kind of forget sometimes that you really need to be a good pass protector to end up being a full three down back in the NFL. And we've seen it early on with a couple of these guys like Saquon, or uh, Ezekiel Elliott early on in their careers where they're three down starters really early. And so we expect these guys to hit big. I'm not sure that we should have those expectations with a lot of these guys currently coming in as running backs who are more effective as runners than they are at the rest of their game. They need to develop a little bit more. That being said, I'm absolutely with you that he's clearly the most talented and effective runner that the Rams have. I think that eventually we're going to settle into a system where he's the primary ball carrier. And then the change of pace guy ends up being Darrell Henderson with Malcolm Brown being the security backup, like the third, third overall guy. And I think we're getting close to that being the case. I'm really glad that I have the bye week this week so that I don't have to start him because I would probably start him over uh, Kareem hunt. If I had to, in my kind of running back two slot with Chris Carson being my running back one this week, just from my personal team, I get to see him in a matchup that I'm a little bit concerned about because it's the Thursday night instead of a a Sunday matchup against the Patriots tomorrow night. So I'd like to see what that ends up because next week you think he has a a great matchup against the Jets. And I'm very curious to see how that one ends up. It's just the production for me and not to go back to it, but you know, he had 20, he only had 20 more total yards than Darrell Henderson, but he had 17 more cut touches. You know, it's coming. It's, you know, and two, you know, he's getting less work than everyone, too. So just as the game has been slowing down for Jonathan Taylor, with the more work that Cam Akers gets, it's going to be slowing down for him a little bit more, too. So, yeah, this next week, the team that he's playing against, I forgot who it is, but I know it's a pretty good matchup. 
but yeah, you. I got the Patriots tomorrow night. Right, that's who it is. Okay, yeah, I knew it was a really decent matchup. So yeah, I'm excited too, as just a Cam Akers truther and a Cam Akers fan. You just need to see a little bit more production. I, I think there's a bit of a misnomer if you were just simply looking at the box score because Henderson ripped off that long, like 40 some yard touchdown. And so that's where the difference in the disparity comes. I just like the fact that he's getting the level of volume needed in order to be that guy. So if I see it again, if I see that volume level, that's more assurance to me that he's going to get the opportunities to be the guy and eventually to break that big one, even if it may not be in every situation. So let's go to the Cardinal side of things. We're moving into the playoffs. I mean, Kyler Murray was the number one quarterback until he kind of injured his shoulder. New Hopkins was pretty much the number one wide receiver until Murray kind of got hurt. And Murray didn't have a game under 24 points until the last three weeks since he's been hurt. Nuke has had three less than 10 point performances in his last five. What is your concern level as the guy who owns both of them going into the playoffs? Yeah, I was feeling really good a couple weeks ago. You know, I was feeling really, really good about my squad, feeling really, really good about having as many Cardinals as I did. And I sat back and I was like, holy shit, am I a Cardinals fan? Because I have so many of them. But to the point, I think the Kyler Murray shoulder injury, I don't think it's as serious or more serious than we think it is. I just think that they're babying him. I think they're really not des- or running as many designed runs for him as they were. You know, he was one of the leading rushers in the red zone as a quarterback. He's up there in the league. He was leading the league for a little bit in rushing touchdowns as a quarterback. His running ability opens up the passing game even more, and it helps nuke out that much more. So if they want to get to where they want to go, they're going to have to take the training wheels back off of Kyler and they're going to have to let him go. And hopefully that turns out pretty decent for me and my squad because they're fighting for a playoff spot and every game counts. And I'm in the playoffs and every single game counts, so hopefully the production helps my squad out. But yeah, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little worried because he's they're not doing what he's good at. And it's it's frustrating because for me, now it hurts two of my guys instead of just one. I think this may be somewhat of a one-off because I don't think either of these guys is fully healthy. And that's part of it. The other part of it is, is they've over relied on both of these guys to play so much outside of the offense, because frankly, I think you should be leading the cliff Kingsbury firing bandwagon. Uh, This is a guy who couldn't win in college with Patrick Mahomes. So like, let's be quite honest here that, this is what bad coaching and good quarterbacking looks like. So I've never been one to call for a coach firing. Like even when I played and even with coach McCarthy, I've never been one to call for a coach firing. It's just not who I am, but I understand what you mean. I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to be fine. He's a very rich man who looks very, very handsome. I'm pretty sure he's doing okay. (laughs) He shouldn't have had this job, frankly, to begin with. I honestly don't understand how he got it. He, he went from being fired as a college coach to being the offensive coordinator at USC to getting an NFL head coaching job. It, it's, it's beyond me how he's in that job. But anyway, they need to get him out of there or they're going to waste Kyla Murray. The Giants end up pulling off the huge upset in Seattle, 17-12, to 12, 
Wayne Gallman runs for 135 yards. It's actually the first time in, I think, at least four or five games he hasn't hit pay dirt uh, at least once, if not multiple times. But he's had at least 13 points his last four or five weeks. And since becoming the regular starter, is he now locked in as a playoff RB2? I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I think we, we both kind of agreed that he's one of those guys that I think could be productive for you in the in the coming weeks to come. We were talking about how we, he basically made everybody forget about Devontae Freeman. I know he's dealing with an, an injury, but it's like they forgot that they even signed him. So Wayne Gallman, I think for sure you can lock him in as a running back too and feel very, very confident about what he's going to get you, double-digit points each and every week. This team really flipped on a dime when they started really tinkering with their offensive line coaching. And the guy that they had brought in that was part of Jason Garrett's staff in Dallas, when they kind of substituted him out and then uh, Joe Judge brought in his own guy, started tinkering it with him, kind of uh, at more hands-on approach. This team has really become a more ground-and-pound defensive team. And it's really flipped around their entire season. So this is a team where... I'm very curious to see what they look like if they get healthy. And when Saquon Barkley is back with the way they've been running the ball the second half of the year, I think he could be an absolute stud if he gets back to full health and gets back to the Saquon we knew. I'd love to see him in this offense with Wayne Goldman as the backup security guy because he's proven you can be productive with a guy who... Yeah, he played for Clemson and he's got some talent, but nobody ever really thought of as a hugely productive back until these last few games. So I'm very curious what that would look like. The other side of things, though, is the Seahawks were rather pitiful offense. And I know the Giants have been making a lot of teams look silly lately. They've been kind of a a silently productive defense most of the year. But how concerned are you for Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? Russell Wilson has had 18 points or less three of the last four weeks. Yeah, he really fell out of the MVP conversation, huh? Absolutely. You know, he was one of those guys that everyone was like, even even me, I'm pretty sure you were on that bandwagon too. There was kind of Absolutely. just like, all right, all right, just hand this to him. And But then you were kind of the one too that was like, we should probably slow it down a little bit because he is that offense. There's nobody else around him, and the Seahawks go as Russell Wilson goes. And we've kind of seen now how other teams have – changed the way they play the Seahawks and forced everybody else but Russell Wilson to kind of beat them. And with them not having a reliable run game, it really does hurt Russell Wilson because he's a really, really, really good play-action quarterback. So, yeah, I'm concerned about Russell Wilson. I'm concerned about the rest of the way because they don't have the greatest schedule for a quarterback either. So, yeah, my level of concern for Russell Wilson is up there, especially – if you're were banking on what he was kind of giving you earlier on in the season. Uh, all right, let's go to Packers and Eagles. This was kind of a weird game to watch. Uh, it was kind of an up and down from both parts of the Eagles started a little bit hot. Then they got really cold. Then they kind of came on late because they changed quarterbacks. Uh, the Packers end up winning this one at home 30 to 16, but Jalen Hurts replaces Carson Wentz pretty much ending his year we now know that uh Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter at least for this game and probably moving forward for the rest of the year the Eagles are tied contractually to Wentz for a lot of money for a while but we'll kind of play that one out as we get into the free agency conversation maybe after the year but 
do you think Jalen Hurts could be the long-term answer? And he's he does he make any Eagles fantasy viable? I think right now in the NFC East, Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback. Dak is hurt. Dak is hurt. Um, I think he's better than Alex Smith. He's obviously better than Carson Wentz. You could argue, I guess, Daniel Jones. But I think right now in the NFL or in the NFL, in the NFC East, he's the best quarterback. So since you made that statement, it, it made me take a minute to pause and think about it. He's the most athletic. He may even be the most talented. I'm not sure he's the best. Who are you going to argue is the best? As a polished starter, the guy with the experience, with uh, the moxie, the guy who I would trust most to lead me in a drive, Alex Smith. Alex Smith. Okay. That's who I thought you were like, going to say. And that's fine. That, that's a, there, there's nothing wrong with that because I absolutely 110% agree with everything that you just said about Alex Smith. So I can listen to that. But I guess what I'm saying is Jalen Hurts, yes, I think is the long-term answer, and I think he's going to be the long-term answer in Philadelphia. Even from what I saw against Green Bay was enough for me to believe that, holy shit, the offense does look so much better with him there. He was able to get the ball out quicker. He wasn't sacked nearly as much as Carson Wentz was, and he didn't make any stupid, stupid stupid boneheaded throws. That one touchdown that he had to, was it Ward? I think that yeah, he had. It I was think a little so. the fourth like, and eighteen. Yeah, it was uh, like not really a corner, but not really. Yeah. Anyway, it was a beautiful throw that he had in there too. And it, just looking at him, and just looking at, for me, when I'm judging quarterbacks, it's all about how they handle the situation. He came in. He seemed poised. He seemed like he commanded the huddle well. And he seemed confident. So absolutely, I think Jalen Hurts is a long-term answer. And as somebody that owns Jalen Rager and somebody that has Miles Sanders, I couldn't be more happy about what's going on in Philadelphia. I think there's a level of optimism with Philadelphia fans because, frankly, you couldn't get any worse than Carson Wentz has been playing for the last, you know, six weeks, whatever it has been. He had some okay success earlier on in the year, but he's just clearly lost confidence in the entire situation that's going on there. He's just, I I don't really know if it's a mental block more than anything, but I'm more curious to see what Hertz does this week against the saints who probably have one of the top five defenses in the NFC at this point and are just kind of been dominant the last 10 weeks or so since they lost to the Packers. The Packers have this tendency to let their foot off the gas a lot in these late stages of games that allow teams to get back in. And I I remember my dad basically texting me after that punt return touchdown by Rager that had you so excited, but they were within one score. That was pretty. Well, yeah, but it was poor punt coverage, but (laughs) you know, you see why he's uh, an exciting kind of satellite type player that he has ability and talent to be there. It's never been a question of his talent level. It's how often they're going to be able to get him the ball. And is he going to stay on the field? Uh, health, I've mentioned it many times, has always been a concern of mine when it comes to Rager. But I'm more curious to see how they follow up, especially because you know the Saints are going to pressure Hurts a lot. And how he responds as a, as a guy. Now, to be fair, he's been in a lot of situations that are high-pressure situations against some very good defenses. He played at Alabama, then he played at Oklahoma. He's not a stranger to some high-level competition. But that was college. And 
you know, you're going to be in a bit of a trial by fire. So I, I'm tempering some level of expectation, but I do think that this might have a little bit of a carryover effect, maybe not much, but a little bit of carryover effect on any guys that you might have expectations for the Eagles. I'm not starting Jalen Rager unless I see it, which at this point you're not going to see it probably until the season's basically done. And Sanders, I'd like to see a game where they give him some actual level of volume before I'm plugging him into my lineup for games that matter, especially if I've made it this far. But if you have Goddard, who is still having productive games, he's a guy that I think I could definitely start, especially with the tight end landscape where it is. I think he might even get a little bit more benefit from having a guy that can extend the play, make some decent throws and isn't lacking in confidence at the moment. All right, let's go to the uh, Patriots and Chargers. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this one because it frankly was not a game I watched a lot of. The Patriots ended up with two, I think, special teams return touchdowns. And Bill Belichick is just great against uh, rookie quarterbacks or younger quarterbacks in general. But Justin Herbert ends up only with 6.45 points for the entire game. It was by far his worst game as a starter. And I just wonder if maybe some of the shine is coming off Herbert because we're starting to get some tape on him. He's maybe getting into that area where you could say he's kind of a quarterback that's getting used to the league or the league's getting used to him. Are you a little bit concerned after this? I'm going to make this quick. Absolutely not. I think it just goes to show how hard it is to play quarterback in this league and how amazing he was doing at the beginning of the year. He's going up against one of the best defensive-minded coaches that this game has ever seen. He had a tough day. He's a rookie. Yeah, bounce back. If he's on your squad, you feel really, really good, and you feel really, really happy that you have him for the next 10 to 12 years. No way in hell do I feel bad about Justin Herbert or what he put out there on this past weekend. The only concern I have on him is not in his talent level or the personnel around him it's going to be what this coaching staff is going to be, because I don't think you survive this as Anthony Lynn, as the chargers coach, you got absolutely beat down again. And you've been losing some of these games in the most brutal ways possible. I just don't think he's going to be the coach. So then what do you get as the offensive coordinator? Who do you get as the head coach next year? That's to me more concerning where he gets a completely different system. And I like the talent level, but I'm just, a little bit wary of what he's going to be and what that system is going to look like next year when they bring most likely somebody else in. That's, yeah, that's, that's where my concern is. It's tough to learn a new offense. And then, you know, it, it kind of stunts his growth a little bit. So I absolutely, I can agree with that. And we've seen it with a lot of these rookie quarterbacks before you start putting them with multiple offensive coordinators in multiple years. And it just, you, you never give them the time to adjust and really be comfortable with the system. We even saw last year, Aaron Rodgers had difficulty after, I don't know how many years learning a completely new system. Now he's broken out again in his second year, but you just need to adjust and give them time. We've seen so much from Justin Herbert. I'm just a little bit cautious that if he's going to be a guy that I'm drafting as a top five quarterback next year and banking on, it's not a guy that I'd ha- place a huge level of confidence in that he'd be my sole quarterback draftee, especially in redraft. But he is definitely a great dynasty prospect. I absolutely agree. Uh, so let's go to the Patriots side of things. 
Cam Newton can't throw the ball more than 10 yards, but his rushing value and specifically his rushing touchdowns, where he's likely to break his own record for quarterback rushing touchdowns in a season, keep his floor really high. Is he a guy that you may consider? I'm not even saying that you'd be comfortable, but may at least consider. Let's say if you've been playing with Matt Ryan most of your year, uh, I saw an email from a guy, not to us specifically, but a different show that has been starting Carson Wentz all season. Maybe you, I know that Ryan Tannehill's got a really favorable playoff schedule, but maybe you'd consider something like that. Or maybe you've been riding Matt Stafford most of the year. Maybe you were in a weird situation where you were starting Nick Foles. I don't know. But is he a guy that you could at least consider in that category because of the rushing value? Cam or Cam Newton is number three in the NFL in rushing touchdowns this year. People in yeah. front of him, Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. He's tied with Antonio Gibson. He's one ahead of Kyler. You know, it, it, it's crazy to me to see how productive these two quarterbacks have been on the ground. So, yeah, absolutely. And especially if you have those type of quarterback situations, I would go find Cam Newton on the waivers because he's probably on waivers someplace. I would find him, and most definitely I would I would think to make him my quarterback option for the playoffs because, yeah, he's he's going to be up there in rushing touchdowns. I can see him getting to, like, 15. He's not a guy I'm relying on for this week. I'll say that much because those Thursday night games have scared me a lot, and seeing him go up against Aaron Donald in a Thursday night game just gives me a lot of pause. But after this week, maybe you might consider it. I don't know his next two weeks, but – He's a guy that you at least have to give a second thought about, even though I I think there are a lot better options out there, even available on redraft waiver wires to go get. Let's go to the Sunday night game, Broncos and Chiefs. This is probably one of Pat Mahomes' down games, if you can call it that. He still goes over 300 yards and uh, has a touchdown. Well, No, actually, I don't think he had a touchdown in this game. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, Broncos lose on the road 16 to 22 in kind of an ugly game because, frankly, that's the only way that the Broncos are going to win. But is there a Bronco that you would want on your team for the rest of the year, maybe even longer right now? Tim Patrick is really intriguing. He's had a couple of really good games this last couple of weeks. That being said, you know, I still think Jerry Judy is one of the top wide receivers in this wide receiver class, but I don't like the guy that is is throwing him the football. And we talked about it at the beginning of the year that Drew Locke had every opportunity ahead of him to to be productive. They gave him all the weapons, and he's really not showing it. So you got to wonder, too, if these guys are going to have a new quarterback this next year. I, I think it behooves the Broncos to move in that direction because he's clearly regressed from what he was last year. I mean, he gives them a little bit more of an opportunity to win, but they, they're just not winning because he he'll make two or three good throws, easy throws in a row. And then he'll make one that he's just forcing into the middle of nowhere. And you have no idea why he made that decision. And frankly, the, for the receiver portion of things, they didn't even target Jerry Judy until like, I think almost the end of the third quarter in this game, it was such a weird game plan. They featured Noah Fant. They ran the ball a lot with Melvin Gordon, which I kind of like, but they go to and from each of these running backs. So it's hard to anticipate when they're going to have good games. Fant may be an option because of the tight ends. And you mentioned Tim Patrick, but again, it's a, a guy that 
at best, I'm only considering for flex play right now because the inconsistencies with this team. I, I just, this is not one because of Drew Locke that I'm going to be betting heavily on because it seems like even in the games he's been active, it's deteriorated over the course of the year. The other situation that I have uh, from this game, Clyde edwards Zilaire pretty much tore the heart out of anybody that started him because he was active but didn't take one single carry. This is a guy I was really high on going into the preseason. This is a highly productive offense. I did actually, I, I think that too many people are too hard on Le'Veon Bell because I saw flashes of the old Le'Veon Bell when they actually gave him the ball. But this Chiefs offense is pass three times. Maybe we'll run to set up the next three passes. And so if you're just not getting that level of volume, I don't know what you're going to be. So I asked this question because this is, again, we're trying to get ready for the playoffs. You likely drafted uh, CEH very high uh, along with maybe Bell as a backup, but whichever one of these guys is the starter because, and I am a little concerned going into this week with CEH, given the fact that he apparently lost some weight with whatever he was sick with. Uh, going into the week, which is why he didn't end up being featured. But I'll give you a slew of guys, and we'll just take them one by one. But you tell me whether you'd feature the Chiefs running back, the primary Chiefs running back, or the guy I name. Let's just start with David Montgomery. David Montgomery. DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you starting Wayne Goleman over these guys. That one I'm having a tougher, a tougher time with, but yeah, I think so. I think if I did a blind resume, it wouldn't be as hard. I think it's the name right. attached to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. M- Melvin Gordon. Yeah, he looked pretty good this last weekend. David Johnson. Fuck no. I- I'm very curious what David Johnson's going to be if he gets back to full health and more of a compliment, but they're certainly not giving him enough volume and they don't run the ball very much in Houston. I think I would agree with that one. Miles Gaskin. That one's pretty close for me, too. Uh, but I, I think I'd take Gaskin. Cream Hunt. I'm going to go Chiefs over Cream Hunt. Chris Carson. When healthy, Chris Carson. Raheem Mostert. I would put Raheem Mostert kind of in the same ballpark as CEH and Le'Veon Bell. Pretty unpredictable. Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake, the last couple weeks, yes. This past weekend, I think he only had 10 carries but I think he had like 40 yards or something like that. Well, he's been getting into the end zone a little bit more recently with Kyler Murray not running as much. So I think that it increases the stock. If I were to do this list, I would take Montgomery, Swift, Gallman, uh, Gaskin, Kareem Hunt, Chris Carson, Drake, and Mostert probably above. Well, I would pretty much take all of those guys above Le'Veon Bell at the moment. Above CEH, I'm taking Carson. I will take Gaskin. I will take Gallman, Swift, and Montgomery. And I, I just simply think that the Le'Veon Bell is just not going to get the same amount of carries that CEH is going to get. And that seems weird that if you're if you're the starter or the primary guy that you'd end up getting as many carries, but it seems like they feature Bell even less than they do CEH. So when he's in there. Let's go to the Monday night game. The Steelers finally lose a game after going 11-0 to start the season. They lose in comeback fashion against Washington, 23-17. This was kind of an exciting game. Unfortunately, 
Antonio Gibson, kind of the breakout guy for Washington's backfield that we just mentioned a minute ago is kind of up there. I think he's tied for third in a rushing touchdowns for the season. He leaves with a turf toe injury. It doesn't sound like he's going to be available this week either. And he left early on in this game, which kind of left a void where J.D. McKissick filled in eight catches in the second half for him. And then we got a breakout from Logan Thomas. This is a guy that I featured a lot when I was doing the articles for a guy that I thought was uh, a name to keep an eye on for tight ends. He ends up with nine catches, 98 yards and the game winning touchdown. He's had 11.7 and 20.3 points in the last two weeks. Is he a guy that you could build around as a tight end prospect? I mean, I'm pretty ticked at myself that as soon as I thought that Alex Smith was getting healthier, that I didn't go out and find Logan Thomas. Alex Smith loves his tight ends. He's loved his tight ends his entire career, and we've known this, and that's why I'm pretty frustrated at myself. Um, So as long as Logan Thomas is a tight end of Alex Smith, yeah, I think he's a tight end that you can expect bigger things from. I think he'll be a sleeper that will be pretty productive. I feel like targets will be up there and I think that he'll be a big target come red zone time yards and stuff. I don't know how great the yards will be, but I feel like targets and touchdowns will be um, pretty common for Logan Thomas with Alex Smith as a quarterback. Normally we expect tight ends to develop over their second and third years. So that's why this guy, I think he's in the middle of his second year towards the tail end. And I agree. Alex Smith has a very good rapport with most of his tight ends. We all remember what he did early on with Travis Kelsey. So I don't know if this guy's nearly the athlete that some of these other guys have been, but we do know that he's probably going to receive a huge amount of targets as teams continue to pay more and more attention to uh, Terry McLaurin. Now you're going to have three passing targets that are all going to be very good for Alex Smith, uh, a possession wide receiver. Who's really good after the catch in Terry McLaurin, a tight end who you can hit in the underneath coverage and a running back who you can dump the ball off to. I think all three of them are potentially productive playoff scorers. I don't know if Terry McLaurin's going to win you a week, but he's not going to lose you one. And these other two guys are flex consideration at worst, as far as I'm concerned right now, especially with Gibson being out. You don't think McKissick's necessarily going to get in the end zone, but if he's going to get eight to 10 catches again, and he's going to be targeted a lot as the primary back in this offense with Antonio Gibson out, I do like his value being higher in PPR score. All right, let's go to the Steelers side of things. And this is a team that I think a lot of people haven't necessarily been impressed with, per se. This is kind of the game that finally snuck up on them. They are a fairly imbalanced offense when it comes to things. They pass a lot more than they run the football. That was, again, apparent in this game. They have been struggling in a lot of ways. Their receivers have been productive to a point. But are we starting to see some cracks in the Steelers' offense as regular starters? Yeah, I think so. I think we're starting to see that they're really not as good as their record would indicate. I still think they're a really good football team defensively, but I think injuries are starting to catch up with them, and their lack of ability to run the ball is really, really starting to catch up with them. You can't be so one-dimensional and and expect to win a Super Bowl in this league. It's just not possible. You know, ask the 15-1 and one Packers. You know, they didn't really have a run game. They didn't really have a defense. And that's kind of where it's trending with, with Pittsburgh right now. 
but they don't really have a defense because of all the injuries that they've been having to deal with. Yeah, I think you can start to be a little bit concerned if you're a Steelers fan. I'm starting to get concerned about Chase Claypool as a viable starter going into the playoffs, especially if you've been relying on him because the Steelers have been throwing the ball short and in quick, easy routes early on in the down. And so that really plays against what Claypool does. They haven't been using him in as many creative ways as they did earlier in the season. So if you're asking me the viable Steelers starters right now, I don't know if Roethlisberger is streamable, probably depending on what the situation is and who you have as your other options. But the only two that I feel really great about starting right now from Pittsburgh are Deontay Johnson and Smith Schuster. So I, I, I'm concerned about the rest of them. And I think there should be a little bit of caution because uh, they're playing the bills this week, which isn't the worst matchup, but not the greatest either because Tredavious white is starting to look like himself again. Uh, and I know that they have Indianapolis coming up in the next few weeks as well. It's, I, I think their schedule is going to start to jump up on them here as they kind of move along, especially with uh, some of those issues on the defense kind of starting to creep up on them. Let's go to the bills and the 49ers bills win this one technically on the road. The 49ers were playing in Arizona. They win this 34 to 24 and not really that much of an entertaining game. The Bills pretty much took it to him. The 49ers scored some kind of garbage points most of the second half. And the the biggest stories of this one is Josh Allen ends up kind of in a resurgent game yet again, kind of made the 49ers defense look pretty ordinary. Uh, Cole Beasley, though, had one of his bigger games again this year. He kind of pops up when you're not expecting it. Uh, nine catches, 130 yards and a touchdown. He has had four of 12 games above 15 points this year. So basically one out of every three games, he'll pop up for one of these big ones. Is he in the dynasty keeper range? I think you can safely say that. I feel like he's somebody that you will have strong debates about when you're narrowing down your dynasty squad. If he's somebody you want to keep moving forward or if you want to try to get a young, try to get a young stud. Yeah, I think he's right there on the cusp. And personally for me, I would keep him. I think he's a nice, reliable target for Cole Beasley and plays really, really well with Stefan Diggs. I think he does definitely fall in that gray area where, again, he's the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th guy in that, that range. He's not one of those like, yes, I'm absolutely going to keep him. But if you are running out of options, he's a viable guy to sink into that one of those later spots where he's somewhat valuable. And I could see him having value even in next year because Josh Allen continues to be a top five fantasy quarterback, not necessarily on the consistent basis we'd like to see. But this offense is still kind of morphing. And I, I'd be curious to see how their playoff run ends up because this Bills team seems to be rounding that corner where they're becoming more confident and consistent again. So I, I definitely like to see what the playoff product is. That gives me a little bit more um, a chance to see what they do against some of the best competition going into next year. But I, I think he's in that conversation. Definitely. Uh, let's go to a dynasty. Rather, would you rather have Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk going forward? I think for me, it's Brandon Ayuk, and I think it's because he's more of a complete wide receiver than a gadget guy. 
that's kind of how I see Debo. Not that it's he's not a bad thing. It's just I just think he's more of a pure wide receiver, and his game is more foolproof. Um, but over the last four games for Brandon Ayuk, he's got 28.6% target share per game. He's averaging 20.2 PPR points per game. And over the last four weeks, he's finished as wide receiver 19, wide receiver 6, wide receiver 13, and wide receiver 12. Not only does that go to show you how pretty productive of a year he's having, but one, how quietly it's been, and two, and three, how good is this freaking rookie wide receiver class? You know, a lot of them have popped off, and even a lot of them that we are expecting to pop off probably won't pop off until next year or maybe the year after. But, man, it's been really, really incredible, and I, I do think that that Brandon Ayuk is going to be a pretty decent wide receiver in the future. Um, but that being said, too, you know, most receiving yards after catch um, per reception, Debo Samuel is number one. You know, he's got 12.2, so... He's more about more, you know, it just proves my point. He's more about getting into space, and Brandon Ayuk is just more of a pure wide receiver, and I just like the pure wide receiver more personally. But I think either is pretty good. So I had this as a question earlier, and I didn't end up bringing it up, but this is, I, I, I'll just kind of make this as a rhetorical thing to the audience. How mad would you be, and you kind of asked this a couple of weeks ago, but if you had drafted Henry Ruggs as the number one overall wide receiver when you had all of those other options. Think about this. C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, all guys with bigger years so far. Jerry Judy, even, you know, though he's not had a really great rookie season, we still think very highly of him. Michael Pittman, you start thinking about Denzel Mims. I mean, the guys that are there. Yeah. Even Jalen Rager, you got to argue about too. You know, Chase Claypool, like you, the list can yeah. go on yeah. and on and on. You, did you say T. Higgins? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure I did. If I didn't, yeah, I, if I'm sorry, but like, yeah. Yeah, it's, the, that's, it's been an absolutely great rookie class for wide receivers. It's incredible. And especially, too, we're beating on the table all summer long about how good this rookie wide receiver class was, right? but how you need to be patient because sometimes it takes a year or two for the wide receiver. They were like, fuck that. You guys have no idea what you're talking about. We're coming and we're going to take this shit over. And that's exactly what they've done. And it's been super, super impressive and fun to watch. I think as college has expanded more into these spread concepts and the NFL has adopted them, I think you've seen a change where running backs have to do more when they come into the league than wide receivers do. Wide receivers are actually coming in more NFL ready than some of these running backs. So I think you're seeing a change where it used to be you draft running backs to plug and play right away and wide receivers you'd have to wait on. I think it's the other way around now where you draft wide receivers maybe to be viable immediately in value once they start getting a level of volume, especially in a team where their target share could be high and the other way around where running backs, you may have to wait on for a year or two in order for them to get an opportunity out of their committee, maybe earn that primary spot in their backfield. All right, let's go to our final game of the week. The Cowboys lose to the Ravens. I didn't even put down the score for this game, so I apologize, but Amari Cooper has had only one week of less than 10 points since Dak got hurt. Is he a guy that you'd count on for cracking your playoff roster? Yeah, well, not just your roster, your starting roster. Yeah, absolutely. He's for sure a, fec- a flex play. Andy Dalton, we've I've said it at least uh, week after week, he's a very serviceable, probably the best backup quarterback in the league right now. 
and he's obviously looking for Amari Cooper, and they're obviously trying to scheme him open. So long story short, absolutely, Amari Cooper is going to be on my playoff roster, my redraft roster that I have. I think Dallas is playing Cincinnati this week, and I'm not sure if I would necessarily be starting him based on my options. That's the weird part, is I'm still scared to start him for that one week that he's going to end up having a bad week. Uh, right now, I think for my own playoff roster, part of it is, is that Thielen and Jefferson are pretty well locked in. I've got Ayuk already locked in. I've had Will Fuller for most of the year, but now it's a conversation between him, Kareem Hunt, Cam Akers, and Michael Pittman Jr. And I guess you would default to Cooper, but it's one of those where you'd ha- you ha- even seeing the numbers, even seeing that he's had very consistent numbers even after Dak I'm still uh, there's something in the back of my mind that says he's a cowboy can you really rely on him so I I get it but I maybe I should have more more confidence in this one all right so let's go to the Raven side of things as our last point of the day would you consider flex starting either J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards in the fantasy playoffs J.K. Dobbins looked really really good yesterday um, he's going to be a very good running back for years and years to come. That being said, depending on what you have, I'm not rushing to throw him into my lineup because I still think that backfield is a little too murky for me. But moving forward, especially in Dynasty, he's somebody that uh, if I have him, I'm really happy I have him. I, I still think that the Ravens are better than what they've played at this year. And I I weirdly think that this has been just kind of one of those really random years that they're they're having where their offensive line all of a sudden got really unhealthy and they haven't been able to run the football as much Lamar Jackson's kind of lost himself but I did see that kind of Lamar Jackson look last night when they were playing the Cowboys that kind of oh I've got the world by the tail again and if he can start hitting a few more throws more consistently maybe that uh, comes back I still think that next year that the Ravens are going to be somebody to reckon with, especially because they're going to have an easier schedule since they won't be playing the the same um, tough week in week out schedule that they did this year when they uh, were the number one seed off of last year. So I, he's one more for the future, but I think that the schedule isn't terrible playing Cleveland and Jacksonville the next two weeks that you might consider him as a flex play because I still like running backs a little bit more than wide receivers even in PPR value. And I know that Dobbins isn't going to be a huge passing down guy out of the backfield. So, all right, that takes care of our recap for the week. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back again later this week to break everything down for what will be our first playoff week. Uh, Until then. Wear a mask, everybody. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM.